like I would like to. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Um, and as you're turning there, uh, a couple of announcements. Really, it's, it's one. Well, me, let me retract on what uh, Mike was saying about the home groups. Uh, it's been too long since we've done that, and so we'd really love for as many as you as possible to take part in the home groups. So you also have an announcement in your bulletin. So I want everybody to really listen. I know you're turning to Matthew 28, um, but I want to encourage you over the next several Wednesdays, okay? So really like a two and a half months. Let me put it this way. From now until Thanksgiving, here we are in August, September, October, most of November. Our Wednesday nights are going to be different as far as children and adults. Now, children will not, children will be the same for the next six weeks, okay? So be tracking along with us in your bulletin. This coming Wednesday, Ladies, you'll meet in the fellowship hall, children like normal, students uh, over in the student center. Men will meet right here. Men, come out and meet with us. I, I would like somebody to be here when I'm in here Friday, uh, Wednesday night. So join me. Um, we're going to be, we just sang a while ago, I met the author of my story and he is mine. We're going to be a, a, doing a study, volume two of the Biblical Manhood series. It'll be volume two out of six of those. We've done two others. This is volume two. We did volume three up on the mountain as the men's retreat uh, back in April. Uh, the men in, in the Sunday school time a couple of months ago did volume one in Sunday school. Frankly, there you didn't have time to really go through any of the discussion questions after the video. So we're going to be able to do that a little more than you were able to do that there. So meet with me right in here this coming Wednesday. Ladies, you'll meet in here. Uh, Deanna would like me to announce that the book and the workbook uh, for the Women of the Word is at the ladies' station right behind the um, sound booth there, and you'll need that, and so those are $9. Again, so pick that up right back there. If there's any hardship, you're like, I can't afford the $9, I guess I won't come, uh, to communicate that with us in private to one of us on the pastoral staff, and uh, we don't want that to hold you up, but you can get that uh, and then square that away in advance so that you guys are ready to go. Men, there is no charge. Uh, we're not going to have everybody buy a book uh, for our thing. Uh, we'll be watching the video, and we will have the material to lead the discussion and follow up. So um, after that, so that'll go until October the 5th, right? So then starting the next week, we will not have Wednesday services from like the week of October 12th up until Thanksgiving because we're going to be putting our emphasis in home groups uh, on you'll choose either Wednesday night or Thursday night or Sunday night. And again, some of you may say, I can host and facilitate. I can do both of those. And I can do it any of the days, and we'll take that information. Or you may be, I can host and facilitate on this day. As, Brian, as, as uh, Mike said, some of you may be, I can only attend here, and I don't want to host or facilitate that's great. You mark all that apply to you, and we'll take that information and make the groups accordingly. All right, Matthew 28. After over three and a half years, we're down to the final five verses, but I would point your attention on your handout that today is part one. Today is part one, so we're going to finish up these last five verses, what's called the Great Commission, because there is so much here, and believe me, I've already been deleting, and I have a lot to delete between now and next Sunday. There's a lot because there's too much to cover. We're going to try to get the main thing. So today, our hope is to get 
from verse 16 down to 19a. And then next week, we'll cover 19b and 20 and then reloop back and kind of take a fresh look at the whole of it again. And what a great way to finish off this study that we've been in for so long. Um, so before I read the text, every time a preacher preaches, he should be preaching for results. Every time somebody teaches in the Bible or preaches from the Word of God, it is about results. But if ever that is true, it is a message about salvation, and it is this message. So I'm not just up here, let's finish. Let's finish the book. Can't wait to finish. No, we're coming to a crescendo, and we need some results. The Lord wants some results from all the study we've been putting in. And now this is the culmination. So here's where we're at. Thank you. Thankful for Brian being here last week, and he really exemplifies a lot. He and Martha exemplify a lot of the things we're going to be looking at in the next two weeks. So here's where we're at. Mark, uh, Matthew has told us that Jesus, God's Son, has died on a cross. It was for our sins. It was sufficient for our sins. He was buried, as we just sang a while ago. But on the third day, on Sunday morning, he rose again. A group of women go to the tomb. They see soldiers are there. There's this earthquake. The stone is rolled back. No doubt that just tears them up. They see this angel. This angel tells them, I know that you're seeking Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here. He's risen again. Come inside and look. They go inside and look. And then he tells them, go out. And he gives them some very, very specific instructions. Since you know that he's risen, go tell his disciples because they don't know that he's risen. You go tell them and then tell his disciples to meet him in Galilee. And so off the women go and they do that very thing. And that brings us up to verse 16. So remember, Matthew has not covered all of the various times Jesus has presented himself alive after his resurrection. He's just picking up now the second one. The first one was back in verses 8, 9, and 10. He revealed himself to the women as they went. And now we're going to skip ahead over a week, no doubt well over a week. So the Lord's going to keep appearing for 40 days before he actually ascends to heaven. But then now uh, there's going to be this meeting as these guys follow the instructions they were given. Notice with me in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went. Remember what I said a while ago about the women. The angel tells the women, go tell his disciples this message. He's risen. They're supposed to go to Galilee. Off the women go. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. This is their home area. They've been in Jerusalem for the Passover. It's going to take them days to get back home. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. So Jesus had already told them before he died that I'm going to be meeting you back in Galilee. And I don't know if that's when he told them a specific location or in Previous appearances to the eleven. Before this, he's appeared to them twice before what, what we're about to read. He's appeared to them twice in Jerusalem, Peter three times. So was it there or earlier? We're not sure. But at some point, he told them exactly where to go. And so they went to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, so they, they get there. When they saw him, they worshipped him. They worshipped. They see him. They worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, really get these verses, all authority, all authority in heaven, all, Jesus is talking, all authority in heaven and on earth has been, 
Did you catch that? Has been, before this, has been given, given to me. So here's Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. (laughs) I have never heard anybody else make such a claim as that. That is as big... That is the most arrogant, egotistical, foolish statement anybody's ever made. Or it's true. One of the others. Or it's true. (laughs) It's true. Verse 19. Go, therefore. Go, therefore. And make disciples. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. It's been given to me. I have it. Go, therefore. And make disciples of all nations. I missed this somehow all week. Missed it. Didn't see it till this morning. Go make disciples. It doesn't say go make disciples in all nations. Go make disciples of all nations. We've got a lot of work to do. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Really get verse 20. We're not going to get to it this morning, but just kind of let it start soaking in. Teaching them. Go make disciples. Baptizing them. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Did you catch it? Teaching. doesn't say teaching them all I've commanded you. It says go make disciples. Baptizing them. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Watch this. You can put the inflection in a lot of places. Teaching them. The Lord's talking to the disciples. Teach them these Disciples in all the nations teach them to observe all that I commanded you. I'm going to get ahead of myself. There's some people who have this feeling the Great Commission was for the apostles. Wrong, wrong. Like it stops with them. They had this special calling. It's re- I'm really getting ahead of myself. Hang off, Jeff. You got plenty here. You don't need to get into next week. But it's true. Everything he told them is supposed to always be passed on to everyone else. And then the Lord says, and behold, I am with you. Who's with us? We've got the Holy Spirit, absolutely. But Jesus says, behold, I am with you. Always. Like that means all the time, every day, always to the end of the age. We've got three things we need to notice this morning. And your outline's going to be a little squirrely. If you've already looked at it, you see Roman numeral 1, Roman numeral 2, and then Roman numeral 3. And Roman numeral 3 has this, like, you know, Arabic, Aramaic number, Arabic number, 1, right? And there's no 2, and there's no 3. All we're doing is 1. So we're going to kind of have a little weird. Next week, we'll finish point number 3 with its other points, and then we'll get to the fourth point which is at the very end, which we just read, the end of verse 20. So today we have three things to get us from verse 16 to the first half of verse 19. Number one, would you notice? The disciples worship Jesus. Verse 16 again, the disciples worship Jesus. Now the 11 disciples, so we know we're talking about the 11. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped Jesus. When they saw him, they worshiped Jesus. So guys, I'm gonna, please don't turn me off for what I'm about to say. If you were here three weeks ago, you're going to say, man, these next few minutes, that, that sounds a lot like what Jeff taught then. I knew we were going to repeat, so I'm going to go ahead and warn you. I am about to repeat some things, but I think we need to hear it again. 
Verse 16, there's some principles here. It's pretty simple. The 11 disciples went to Galilee because the Lord had told them to, and they went to the specific mountain, and something happened when they got there. They met with the Lord. So here's where I want to begin, real simple review from a few weeks ago. You remember in verses 8, 9, and 10, actually verse 7, the Lord tells the women after they've inspected the empty tomb, now you go tell his disciples that he's risen and tell them to go to Galilee. And what did the women do? So they've been given instructions from God through an angel. Off they go, and while they're going, they encounter Jesus. While they're going in obedience to the word from God. And so they go do that, and they encounter Jesus. Then the disciples are told to go meet Jesus in Galilee. They go meet Jesus in Galilee, and here's what we find. As they're obeying the commands of Christ, Jesus meets with them. So it's real simple. This is a review But here's what I find. God meets with... I don't know about you. I want to have God encounters. I want everybody here to have God encounters. I pray that every week. That everyone who comes will have an encounter with God. But here's a timeless principle. God meets with us when we do what he says to do and when we go where he says to go. God will... You say, "Ah, I just don't sense God in my life. Are you doing the things he says to do? Are you at where he says to be? Do you go where he says go? Do you do the things? The Bible tells us, God tells us to read the word of God. You ought to read it multiple times. Read it slowly and then stop and think about it and meditate on it. I'll tell you what. You get your Bible out. Get along with you and God. Stay away from the thought I just had. That's a time waster. Stay on point. Don't worry about reading everything else that's out there. That's not the Word of God. If you have time for that after you've read the Word of God, that's great. But read your Bible, get along with you and the Lord, and then really think about what the Lord is saying in the text, and then God will meet with you. God says to get a prayer closet. If we were on a lie detector this morning, how many in the room could say, I have my prayer closet, and I I go there faithfully, and I pray to God. If you'll go where you're supposed to be, God is going to meet with you. Come to the house of God. Be faithful to meet with God's people. And God will meet with you. Be in habit of obeying the Lord. Look quickly again at verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. So picture this. They see the Lord. They're where they're supposed to be. They have God encounters with Christ. They fall at his feet and start worshipping him. As they should. Now, if... Jesus is anything less than God, then what we're reading here is idolatry. This would be creatures worshiping a creature, another creature, a higher creature, but another creature. That's not what we find. Jesus, being God, invites and accepts their worship. And so what we have are creatures worshiping the very creator. So this is the right thing to do. But here's the problem, and this often happens, I think. There's a reason I sit on the front row. It's not so I have a shorter walk to the podium. You want to know why I sit on the front row? Honestly, main reason. Because I think it would really bother me if I was worshiping the Lord and I saw some people just standing there like a bump on a log, totally unengaged. That'd bother me. So I like to sit up here where all I can see is the worship team because they're worshiping the Lord like, hey, no distractions for me. Don't you be a distraction to anybody else. Here's what we have in this text. There are some people worshiping God and some other people are just watching worship happen. Don't be caught just watching. But we kind of end on a a little different, kind of a downer note. Let's just be honest. Look at the end of verse 17. So they're worshiping the Lord. 
The eleven is said to be worshiping. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, real quickly, what is this word doubted? Uh, one of the things I learned this week was that doubted is, does not necessarily mean what we're thinking here. Like, oh, they doubt that that's Jesus. Or that they're doubting the resurrection. The word doubted here means hesitated. So some are worship, worshiping the Lord and some are hesitating. Now, I can't be definitive here. I'm going to go ahead and tell you there's two options. I don't know which one. I, I kind of lean to the second one. I think I'll actually, it's 50-50. Let me just give them both to you. So apparently one of two things, and it is only one of them, but I'm going to throw them both out. Either this is what's happening. The 11 disciples are there, and the 11 disciples are worshiping the Lord, but there's another group of people. Remember in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives a list of people who saw the resurrected Christ. And he says at one point there was 500 brothers, meaning brothers and sisters, who saw the Lord at one time. It could be very well that at this meeting the disciples are there, but there's more than the disciples. And the disciples are falling down and worshiping the Lord. And these 500, they've not yet, this is the third time they've seen the Lord, the, uh, the 11. But the 500 have not yet seen him. And so some of them apparently are going to take a moment to process. They're hesitating, jumping on board with what has taken place. They're going to have to like, that really is him. And no doubt getting closer. And then he comes forward and starts teaching them. And then their faith is going to be built. So it could be that. Just a slow hesitation because we haven't been there yet. We've heard this. And if so, that means they're a little bit like Thomas. I'll only believe it when I say, there he is. And then they would get on board. The second possibility is that it's just the 11, and they've already seen him twice down in Jerusalem in an indoor room where the doors are closed and the Lord shows up without coming through the doors. And what this could mean is that when they see him in Galilee up on the mountain, that some of the disciples fall down in worship, but some of them are hesitating. If that's the case, then what is going on in their heart and in their mind would be this, I see what you're doing, but is it right? Is it right to fall down? So maybe they're still hesitant to go full throttle and worship Jesus. So I don't know which one of those two. Is it the 500 that are hesitant or is it some of the 11? Either way, here's what I know happens. Jesus is going to put all that hesitation and doubt to bed because of what he does in verse number 18. Would you notice with me secondly this morning? Jesus claims to have all authority. Jesus claims to have all authority. This is an important verse. We have now begun the Great Commission when we're actually getting into verse 18. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came, so some are worshiping, some are doubting, hesitating. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You guys have heard me say before, I am by no means a Greek scholar, but the word all there, you want to know what that means? All. All means all. Hear this. All authority. All, all authority. In heaven and in earth. I don't know if they realize it, but these, these 11 apostles, having been taught by Christ for three years, they are the greatest theologians that were left after Christ went to heaven. They've been trained by him. But if you were to re rewind three years before that, there was a time period where they would have gone to the synagogue and they would have been taught and trained by the rabbis of the Jews. And so I'm saying that for this reason, 
The Jews expect the Messiah, the Christ, to come. And he's going to be very authoritative and he's going to have authority on the earth. But I believe even with the apostles, as they're hearing the Lord say this, this to them is new revelation. They already know, based on earlier chapters, he is the Christ. They know that Jesus is the Christ. They believe that. And they believe that he has authority over the earth. But when he says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. And it's been given to me. I believe this would blow their mind. This would expand their thing. What do you mean? All authority in heaven. What Christ is saying is there's God, the creator, and then there's everything else that is created, time and space, all of it. And he's saying, I have all authority over all of heaven, everything that is spiritual, and everything physical. Let's just, we could go into a five-minute, I ain't kidding, we could just keep going and delving and just keep throwing out things. He's over this, and he's over that, and he's over that. But let's just keep it simple. If you can see it, Jesus has authority over it. If you can see it, he has authority over it. If it is a real thing and you can't see it, he has authority over that. Like what? He has authority over all spirit beings, all the angels, He has authority over that. He has authority over demonic forces. You are a spirit being. You have a soul and a spirit. He has full authority over your soul and spirit. Now, if you can see it, he has authority over that. If you can't see it, he has authority over that. If you can see it, if you can see it here, I'm looking at you, you're looking at me, you're looking at everything around, then he has authority over that. But if you can't see it, let's go back to that one again. You can't see spirits because spirits are invisible. Angels, we can't see them. Demons, we can't see them. But he has authority over them. Some things are so small that we can't see them. They're there right in front of you. You're looking at them right now. You you don't see them in their minuteness. But he has authority over them. Down literally on the atomic, molecular, foundational, building block level of all physical things, the Lord has authority over every little molecule and atom. All parts of that. Some things... We don't see them because they're small. We don't see them because they're so far away. There are things in the universe that no human eye has yet to see, not even with a telescope. They're way out there. No one, no one ever will see them in this life. But the Lord Jesus Christ right now has authority over all of that. He has all authority over all things. But there's a confusing part of the verse. And I want to invite you to think about it with me. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth Has been given to me. Has been given to me. What does that mean? You ready to answer this question? Go with me. All authority has been given to me. Who is talking? The person talking is none other than the Son of God. And as the Son of God, He is the eternal Son of God. Eternity past. Well, that's the one we really don't understand because we eventually, our, our brains just circuit out. We can't keep going far, further and further back. But this person talking is the eternal Son of God who is co-equal with God. He's not less than God the Father. He is equal. He's as much God as God the Father is God. And they are one and there's not two or three gods. There's one God. And this person talking is the eternal Son of God. And so he always has had the authority. So what does it mean? It's been given to me. So if he's the eternal Son of God who always had authority, then what is this talking about? So in verse 18, here's what Jesus is doing. He's referring to a very specific event that took place in time and space when he, catch this, after his incarnation became the God-man, and when he became the God-man, in other words, 
He's always existed as the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, but his name, Jesus, is his human name. Jesus came into existence in time and space 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, something new happened. And the Son of God, the eternal Son of God that is spirit, became a real human being. And so what Christ is referring to is verse 18, is at some point after that, but before this, he was given all authority in heaven and on earth by none other than God the Father. Write that down. God the Father is the one who has given this authority, not new authority to his son, but new authority to Jesus, the God-man, in time and space at some point around 2,000 years ago. You're writing that and say, how do we know that God the Father is the one who gave, them, gave him this? Jesus has already referred to it back in chapter 11 of Matthew, verse 27, as you're writing. Jesus in chapter 11, verse 27 says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. So it was before chapter 11 is when this happened. John chapter 3, 35, same thing Jesus says. John chapter 13, verse number 3, in the upper room when he's about to wash the disciples' feet. The Bible talks about that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, does this. Daniel chapter number 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel, in the Old Testament, saw a vision of a time period when this one like the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days. This would be Jesus the Man, the God-Man, coming to the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days gives him a kingdom and dominion over all the kingdoms and languages and peoples and tribes of the earth. And so that's what the Lord's referring to. He's had all authority, but as a man, there was a point where he was given authority in his state as a human being. Now, why is that important? There's God, creator. And then there's creation. And the gap between God, I don't have my arms long enough, but let's just, just do this. There's God, and then there's creation. Watch. The Bible teaches us that when God created all things, there are ranks and levels of creation. And as far as created things, according to the Bible, the angels were at the top. And then Adam was created. And Adam, mankind, was made lower than the angels. A little lower, the Bible says. That mankind being a little lower than the angels. So there's God, then there's all of creation. And then in creation, the ranks go angels and then man. And then below that, you're going to have animals and birds and fish. And down below that, best I can tell, are the plant life. How do I? My hunch is because the animals eat plants, then they outrank the plants. And because we eat animals and plants, we outrank the animals and the plants. But angels are above us. But think about what the ramifications of verse number 18 means. Though mankind was created lower than the angel, angels, mankind, though that is true, verse 18 means that one of us is literally one of us, a human being, is running the universe. We are created lower than... So there's the angels, and we're below them, but now we, one of us, not all of us, one of us, a human being, is sitting on the throne of the whole universe, including heaven and earth and all the expanse of created things. One of us is ruling over all things. And that is a fact. So mankind has been elevated to a position now that we are above. Not all human beings, but those who are in Christ 
through Christ, we've been elevated now to a place above the angels because in Christ, He is over all things. And if you're in Him in salvation, then you've been seated at the right hand of God as His child. And so we move not just from angels, human beings. We become the adopted children of God who outrank. Paul says, do you not know? He would tell us this morning. Do you not know that you will judge angels? We will outrank them. In fact, we even do right now if you are a child of God. Verse 18 again, one last thought. Jesus says, he came. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now knowing where we're about to go in verse 19 and 20. What gives Christians, think with me, what gives Christians the right to hop on an airplane and go to another place in the world, like we heard about last last week with Brian and Martha, who are we to think we are to hop on a plane, go to another country in the world, learn their culture and learn their religious system, and after we gain an audience with them, what do we do? We start telling them, that all their religions that are not the religions of the New Testament and all the ways that they are trying to go to a good place after they die, all of your, all of your belief system is wrong. So here we come over, and don't, don't think just Americans. Wherever Christians go from any nation to another nation to learn their religion that is other than the New Testament, when we go, who are we to think that you can get in your car and go across Anderson County, go in somebody else's home that believes something different, and you sit down, and at the end of the day, you end up telling as nicely as you can, but firmly as, as possible, hey, yours, you're wrong. Your religion is wrong. The way you're trying to get to heaven is the wrong way. This is the right. Who, where do we get that audacity from? Verse 18. Verse 18 is our warrant to go to the rest of the world and say, somebody had to tell me this and I've been sent to tell you this. Jesus has all authority. Everything he says goes. All that you've been doing is wrong. You better get on board with Christ. He has authority over you. All authority in heaven. A man is right now calling the shots in heaven. It's the man, Christ Jesus, the God-man. All authority, there is one exception. If you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians, I'm not going to track it down. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 28. You have it in your Bible, you can look it up later. The Apostle Paul makes it clear that there is one exception to the authority of Jesus. And there's a reason there's an exception. He talks about how God the Father is the one who gave all authority to, to this man, Jesus Christ. And then the Father is going to help Christ put all things in subjection under his feet. So all things are being put in subjection. The last enemy of Christ is going to be death. And when that last enemy is defeated, then Christ, having all authority and it's practi- in a practical way, has conquered all enemies. Then he is going to take all the kingdoms of the world and he's going to hand it back over to the Father. And then the Father, the Bible says, will be all in all as we head into eternity. So the Bible is real clear. There is one exception to the authority of Jesus. And that is God the Father because God the Father is the one. In other words... God the Father is not underneath Jesus, and Jesus usurps him. It's like it's known. He's the one who gave him the authority, and so he's exempt from the authority of Christ being over the Father. But now, last thought before we hit our main point this morning, and that is this one. To what extent is the authority of Christ? To what extent does it go? I don't have time to develop all of those, so I want to give you one main one. You'll not need to turn there. I know you may be writing a note. But if you would look back at John chapter 5, verse 22, it'll be on the screen. Notice the following. Jesus in John 5, 22 says, 
for the Father, now get this, let's get this in our religion. We're talking about to what level of authority does Jesus have? For the Father judges no one. We say God's going to judge everybody, right? The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. The Father has given all judgment to the Son. So we hear this thing about this judgment seat that's coming, this evaluation of all the Christians. And we hear this thing called the great white throne judgment that is a very fearful thing and it is coming. Who's sitting on that great white throne? It is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what's going to be at. God the Father will be there. And God the Father is on the throne and the Lord Jesus Christ is on the great white throne. And it is called the judgment seat of Christ. And he's going to evaluate Christians and unsaved people. He's the one who's going to decide. All authority is me. Son, you have all authority. Everything you say goes. Whoever you say goes into eternal life, they're the ones that are going to go into eternal life. If you say someone goes into eternal damnation, they will go into eternal. It is your call. He will not go against what the Father wants or desires as his plan, but it will be Jesus that is executing the final judgment. This is what Paul taught the Athenians in Acts chapter 17 there on Mars Hill. Jesus is the one on the great white throne. And now back to verse 19 of Matthew 28. Number three. Jesus gives his last commands. And today we're only going to cover one command of Christ. But I'll go ahead and tell you it is the main command. This is the main command. Let's read 18 and go into 19 again because Jesus is now... For the, re- for the rest of, of the text, down halfway through verse 20, the Lord Jesus is giving his last commands. Verse 18 again. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. What is this great last command of Christ? This is the main one we'll find out. It is this. The Lord's last command, in essence, is to Go to all the nations and make disciples. Go make disciples of all nations. That's his final command. But now notice how he starts it in verse number 19. He says, go therefore. So therefore obviously means based on verse 18, go. Go therefore. I have all authority. I wrote down three thoughts about why the Lord says go therefore. Number one, by the way. This applies to you, Graceview. This applies to each one of us as individuals. Here's what the Lord is saying. Go, therefore, because Christ, not me, Christ says, I have all authority, I have every right to make demands on your life. You need to hear that. I, what Jesus is saying, go, therefore, because I have the right to make demands on your life. Secondly, go therefore because I have the right, Jesus is saying, to make demands on their life. Whoever you end up encountering, I make demands on your life to go. And whoever you encounter, I have demands on their life as well. I have the right of that. Third thought is this. Go therefore because since I have all the authority, I have chosen this as the plan. And this is the plan. Go therefore. The method we're going to use is you going with the gospel. I have right to tell you to do it. I have a right to tell you that I have rights over them, and this is the method. Go, therefore. So we've got a lot to unpack today and next week about verse 19 and 20, first part of verse 20. But I want to begin with a very simple exercise, very simple. I want to propose to you that the Great Commission, which we're studying 
is urgent. Urgent. Don't just hear this. We're always going for results. But if we've ever gone for results in our messages, this one is urgent. This week and next week is urgent. Why? I want to give you four reasons the Great Commission. By the way, this Great Commission is the mission of every Christian. It is the mission of every church. There are some churches who don't get this. There are some churches, if you were to ask them, they might even verbalize what is pretty obvious. What do you guys exist for? Oh, we're here to help the poor. That is not our primary mission. Our mission is that when it feeds ultimately this mission. You understand what I'm saying? There are churches in America, their number one identity is we're here to help the poor meeting physical needs. That is not our number one mission. That is a sub-mission to feed the bigger mission. We have one main mission, and that is the Great Commission. And it is urgent for reasons, number one. Now, because you guys know this, you're going to be tempted to just kind of, yeah, okay, I already know that. I want you to feel it and let them keep connecting. Simple thoughts, you already know that, but review with me. Number one, the Great Commission is urgent because all people need to be saved. Just hear it. Just hear it fresh. All people need to be saved. Why do all people need to be saved? Every single person needs saved. Like everybody on the planet, all people need saved. Why? Because all people were born in sin with Adam's sin nature. All people have committed acts of sin. They've broken God's laws. We've all committed acts of sin. We've all broken God's laws. We all stand in God's judgment, in the way of God's judgment. He can't tolerate our sin. And he has to punish our sin. Listen. The Great Commission is urgent because God must punish every person's sin and God will punish every person's sin. Everybody needs to be saved. Number two. Now let's get to the good news. God has made a way for people to be saved. That's the good. Everybody needs to be saved and good news, God has made a way for people to be saved. Notice that I said God has made a way for people to be saved. Number three. Why is this so urgent? Everybody needs to be saved. God has made a way for people to be saved. Number three, Jesus is the only way for people to escape hell and to go to heaven. Why is it urgent? Because God is going to punish all sin and hell is real. Hell is a real place. There are people there right now. The only reprieve they will get from hell is to get out of hell, to go to the great white throne judgment, and then death and hell will be cast in the lake of fire, and that will last for eternity. Again, as I said a few weeks ago, you pick any number you want, 99, throw 25 zeros behind it, let that number count for years, and once a person has been in hell for all of those years, they are no closer to the end of getting out of hell. Hell is real, and it is eternal. This is why the Great Commission is urgent. People need to be saved, and God has made a way for people to be saved. But there's only one way, only one, and it is Jesus. It's very exclusive. Jesus in John chapter 14 verse 6 says, I am the way. He doesn't say I'm a way. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts chapter 4 verse number 12 Peter is preaching, he's teaching, talking to the Sanhedrin, and he ends up telling them, there is salvation, there is salvation in no one else. There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's this one name of Jesus. That's why the gospel is urgent. You say, Jeff, there's four reasons. The fourth one is pretty clear. 
It's urgent because billions of people have never heard the one true way. Billions of people. Everybody needs to get saved. God has made a way of salvation. Jesus is the only way. of He's the only one. There is a way, but he's the only one. But billions of people have never heard of the one way of salvation. And by the way, I want to challenge you with this thought. There are billions. So I know I'm talking about a big number there, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. There are billions of people who've never even heard about Jesus. They may have heard the name, but they don't know what he's done. By the way, thousands of those billions are in Anderson County. They've never heard the way. You may be thinking, Jeff, come on now. Everybody in Anderson has heard about the one true way of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you this. When I share the gospel, try to share it thoroughly, and I have a little time to do that, almost every time people have been, and it isn't because I'm special. It's because how I've been trained, and we'll talk about that maybe in a minute. It's very thorough, and I'll have people, I've never heard that. People who have never heard the one true way of salvation, and they need to be saved, they're being born every day in Anderson County. There's constantly constantly more coming. They will not hear unless someone tells them. They're here. They're all around us. They're being born in the hospital today. And some are being dropped in a bathtub at home, if that's your way of delivering your babies. They're constantly coming. Got older. They, they don't know. Just being born in, a, in Anderson doesn't mean you automatically, oh, guess what? I downloaded the information of the gospel. They don't know. Somebody's got to tell them. I want to share something with you that is troubling. And I want to invite you, 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 check your heart. Because I'm going to finish this little paragraph right here with a suggestion that if you don't understand what I'm saying, you may find it a little offensive. There is a default among most Americans. And here's the default. But it is subtle. I shared this at a funeral, at Miss Maggie's graveside funeral, because it was fresh on my mind that week. There's a very subtle default mentality, and here's how it goes. When we hear that someone died, we have a default position in our mind that that person went to heaven. They died, they go to heaven. I'm talking about people that if you were to ask them, they would know, I know better than that. I'm saying subtly, subconsciously, in this room right now, there are people who have a default position that when people die, they go to heaven. Especially around here. I heard it here. I've heard it multiple times. I've heard it for years. I heard it here just a few weeks ago. Heard it here. I was in a prayer group, a little small prayer group. And as we kicked that prayer group off, we were sharing some prayer requests. And I shared a prayer request. I said, there's this person. Everybody in the group, to different levels, knew the person I named. But I said, this person's loved one passed away. And let's pray for them this morning. And so as we started praying, somebody, a few minutes later, remembered my request. And they thankfully started praying for that person and their family. And their prayer went something like this. Lord, Father, would you give comfort to so-and-so and their family since they lost their loved one? But then they followed it with this. They got more specific. Lord, would you just give so-and-so and their family comfort and the peace of just knowing that their loved one is in heaven with you? 
Mind you, everybody in the group knows the person's name I said who's still alive. None of us knows the, the loved one that passed away. But the request to the Lord was, Lord, would you give comfort and peace to them and, and just comfort them that their loved one is. Why do we do that? Why do we just make an assumption? We don't have the right to do that. Why? Because not everybody goes to heaven when they die. In fact, what is the reality? You tell me. Most do not go to heaven. But here, that's how we think. You'll hear it all the time. It's all around us. Lord, comfort them. And someone will hear they die and you'll get on the phone if you're not careful and just start telling, well, at least they're with the Lord. How do you know that? Did you know the loved one? Guys, I'm going to throw it out again. I've thrown it out several times. If you'll take me up on it, you'll find why I'm, why I'm so passionate about this. If you will start asking diagnostic questions, spiritually diagnostic questions of people in Anderson, you'll find that most people in, in the Bible Belt, Anderson South, most Andersonians are unsaved. I'm on the phone the other day. I don't know if he's here this morning or not. If so, praise the Lord. Perhaps he's watching now. I'm not say his name yet I want him to give his name man calls me or I call him I was asked to contact him and we started talking he started going in how some hurts and things in past church life and it was a Monday evening and after a few minutes I thought you know what I don't want to go down that road let's just cut to the chase and I started asking are you saved and then I asked him what do you think it takes to be saved you say Jeff what are these spiritually die listen I challenge you go ask people Ask them, how is your relationship with God? And let them talk. I challenge you. Ask that. After that, if they say, oh, yeah, it's good, good. Don't say, are you a Christian? Yeah, okay. I was a good witness. No. You ask them, what do you think it takes to have a relationship with God and have your sins forgiven and live with Him forever in heaven? And don't give them the answer. Don't give them the answer. You just ask them and let them start talking. Ask this gentleman, are you a Christian? Kind of went in and he kind of shaky. What do you think it takes to have? And ultimately he gave a few answers. They weren't solid and he kind of concluded on his own. I don't know that I am or not. We spent the next 45 minutes on the phone going over what we call the exchange gospel presentation system. Thought I had him ready like, listen man, I've told you everything you need to know. I cannot do this for you. It isn't about a perfectly worded prayer. It's about you are going to either believe what we've talked about, the promises of God about Jesus, death on the cross being for you and being enough for you. You got to do that. It's up to you. He says, you still at your office? I'm like, well, yeah. He says, I'll be there in a minute. He came over here, and we spent another 45 minutes going over it. And finally, I'm like, because I don't pressure people. I'm like, if you believe he'll save you, and you want to ask him to save you, then you do that. And he ended up asking the Lord to save him that night. But here's what I want to encourage you. Start asking people. Don't give them the answers. What you'll find, most people in Anderson are unsaved. For that reason, I want to encourage you to have this mindset. Assume... People you meet are lost. Assume they're lost until two things you have found to be true. Number one, until they give a clear testimony of salvation by faith in Jesus alone because God gives them the grace, the gift of salvation. Wait on them to give a clear faith-only testimony. You say, well, that's enough. No. Can you identify a life of evidence that backs up that testimony of faith? 
Until then, by the way, we're so churched in Anderson, anybody and their brother can learn what I just said. Oh, yeah, what's the right answer? Oh, uh, yeah, Jesus only salvation. God gives grace. We have faith. They can say it, but if their life is a life of sin, assume they're unsaved. That will keep us in a spirit of the Great Commission. That will keep us in a spirit of evangelism. You say, man, you sound very judgmental going around assuming everybody's unsaved. I do until you show me that you have a life that's a Christian life and a testimony of faith only. You have to give that to be able to become a member here. So what's our strategy? Go with me if you would. Hold your spot here. Luke chapter 24. Go to the end of Luke. Last chapter of Luke. Verse 20, chapter 24. You'll find your way there. Luke 24. I'm going to hit three quick passages that... Hey, everybody in here, I'm, oh, we're going to have an important note coming up in a few minutes. You, you say, man, I'm sure these people in here that are called by God, they should really probably pay attention right here. You, if you're a Christian, should pay attention right here. If you're not a Christian yet, you should pay attention right here. Luke chapter 24, let's find what is our mindset. We're going for results this morning. Every Christian should be saying, you know what, I'm going to pay attention. Even if I've already heard it a hundred times, I want to make sure that the way I'm living my life aligns with the Word of God. This is after the resurrection. Luke's version of the gospel, chapter 24, look at verse 45. Then he, Jesus, he's meeting with the eleven. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. They'd heard things, but it never registered. That's why they didn't understand he was going to die on the cross. That's why they were shocked when he actually rose from the dead. He'd said it, but it just kind of went over their head. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, here it comes, thus it is written. So he opens their mind. He's trying to say, it's been written. It's there. I tried to tell you. It's in the Bible all along. Your rabbis haven't been teaching you this, but it's there. Thus it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, when he comes, the Christ should suffer. Like how much suffer? He should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So he's going to go to the dead, but he's going to rise from the dead. He's going to leave the place of the dead because his suffering brought him to the point of death. The Lord's like, it's in the scriptures. And verse 47, here's what is the mission. It is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's what Jesus taught. That repentance... And forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. What's our method? Luke chapter 24, 45 to 47 teaches us that we must win converts by proclaiming repentance and forgiveness of sins in Christ. Is that a note? Yes. Notice we have two thoughts there. And by the way, I will admit to you the word and between repentance and forgiveness can be for. It can be Depends on which translation you're using here. It can be repentance for forgiveness of sins. But here's the thought. You say, Jeff, what should be my, my, my content when I'm trying to share the gospel with someone and go make disciples? Here's your content. Repentance. Do y'all remember what repentance is? Repentance is a change of what? Say it again. Mind. Repentance is a change of mind. It will affect your life. It's just not automatic. I've got to change my life. It's a genuine. Here's our content. You want to go to heaven? You have to repent. 
You have to change your mindset because we're kind of born and we're taught this mindset. My sin isn't that bad. I know other people's worse than mine. Here's how people think. If I do enough good things, it'll offset my bad and I can go to heaven. You better repent. You better change your mind. Everybody you talk to, help them to repent. You got you to change your thinking. Your sin is worse than you think it is. Your sin is going to cause you to go to hell and God has to judge it. And oh, by the way, no matter what you do, if you never sin again, you've already done so much, no matter how much good, you cannot earn your way to heaven. You have to repent of thinking that you can earn your way. You got to repent of your sin. You got to repent about yourself. You're not good enough. And you got to repent about the Savior. You have to have a new way of thinking about Jesus that his death on the cross was for you personally and that it really was enough to pay for all your sins. You got to repent and then you teach a person. That's when you can receive forgiveness of sins. That's our content. That's the brief synopsis. Of our content. Now, what's our approach, our mentality? Hold your spot. You got a spot marked back in Matthew. Go to 2 Corinthians. We got two places side by side. 2 Corinthians, start chapter 4. Here's our mindset. After this, we're going to go back to Matthew 28, verse 19, and that's where we'll finish this morning. 2 Corinthians. Look at chapter 4. So here's our approach. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to get across repentance and forgiveness of sins in Christ. How? 2 Corinthians 4, look at verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But Paul, here's Paul's approach. But we have renounced this graceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. We refuse to practice cunning in this ministry. And we refuse to tamper with God's word by adding a little bit here and cutting that part out. We don't like that part. Let's adjust this. No, we're not going to tamper with God's word. He says, then what are we going to do? But by the open statement of truth... We would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You say, what's our approach? Just simple, straightforward, proclaim the gospel, forgiveness of sins in Christ. You have to repent of your sin, repent of your attempts to try to be holy enough, and change the way you think about Jesus and believe that He is enough. You dare not add to what He's done. Just a simple, guys, ladies and gentlemen, The gospel has innate power in it. Our job is not to complicate it and convolute it and use a bunch of theologians, terminologies. You just learn a simple, compelling, straightforward, accurate presentation of the gospel and just turn it loose. And finish by saying, it's up to you. Do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? I'm not going to pressure you. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to tamper with. I'm not going to cunningly trick you. Just very straightforward. Do you want it or not? It's up to you. Is God calling you? Do you sense that? Just let the Bible do the work. It isn't about how great and smart you are. Look at verse 7. Paul says, but we have this treasure. The treasure is the gospel, the one way to heaven. We have it in jars of clay. What are these jars of clay? You. You are the jar of clay. Y'all know what? We're we're mostly water, right? But we're brought from the the dust of the earth. And y'all know what dust mixed with water is? What is it? We're mud. We're just mud. We're these vessels. 
God pours in the gospel. Why does he do it this way? Why does he? Here's his method. You are to go share the gospel to all the nations. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why this method? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It isn't about how fancy we can make the gospel. It's about how simple you can declare the gospel and throw it out to people and compel them to come. Look across the page over at chapter 5. Look at verse 18. Paul writes again, All this is from God, God, talking about the Father, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Everybody look this way. This word reconciled means there's God and there's us in our sin and there's this war. And we're losing. We are going to lose. But God sent his son between him and us and he punished his son on the cross and we punished his son on the cross so that through Christ we can become at friends with God and at peace with God and harmony and reconciled. Verse 18 again. Here's our method. Here's our approach. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. He reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses. Hey, you've committed trespasses, but there is a way. God's not going to count it against you. Look at the end of verse 19. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Entrusting it to us. Paul's saying God's method is he's entrusted this message of reconciliation. Don't you just think, I'm glad I'm at peace with God. While we're surrounded by people who are still at war with God because their sin is still between them and God. My sin is not between me and God. My sin has been removed by Christ. And now I'm, I've been elevated to a child of God. He loves me. He'll never stop loving me. He can never love me more than he loves me right now no matter what I ever do. That's what's available. Don't just say, I'm glad I'm saved. God's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul concludes this by saying, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. God making his appeal through us. Through your vocal cords. Through my vocal cords. Paul writes, We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled. This is you and I going out saying, I'm an ambassador for Christ. Write this down. All who have trusted Christ as Savior. If you're sitting here this morning and you would say, honestly, I've trusted Christ as, as Savior, then this fits you. All who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior are His ambassadors who have full authority to go out and conduct heavenly spiritual business. Ambassadors are people who live in another land doing business for their homeland. If you are a saved person, you are a child of heaven, still living on earth, not just taking a vacation to the end of time. You are here on a work mission. This is a work mission. You're here for work to go be an ambassador doing business for heaven. And by the way, you say, I'm not really good. I don't think I can talk to people about salvation. I can call you, though. I've got you on speed dial. Or I can call Brother Mike or Brandon. I'll call Miss Deanna. Listen. You have full authority. If you're a Christian, you've done it yourself. You have authority to go call people to Christ. You talk to them about repentance. And you talk to them about forgiveness of sins in Christ. Do you understand what just happened? 2 Corinthians 5 means it's not this. Lord, could you imagine? Lord, thank you for saving me. It's so awesome. I got a spouse and some kids. Thank you for saving me. 
Would you let me tell them? It's not that you're allowed to tell people. You're commanded to tell people and expected to tell people and you will be evaluated by how you told people. That's our mindset. Back to Matthew 28, look at verse 19. Go therefore, look at verse 19. Let's come down the home stretch here for the next few minutes. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, all that I have commanded you. Go therefore and make disciples. So I want to be totally honest with this text. Y'all see the verb, go? Everybody see that? Here's what we need to understand. The verb go there is actually a present participle. You say present participle, what does that mean? I want to just give you the skinny. You ready? We're going to get subtle here for a minute. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The go is a present participle which actually has this idea. As you go, did you catch it? As you go, make disciples of all nations. As you go, uh, can somebody help uh, our brother right there? He may be not knowing how to cut the side off of the volume. And I I don't want that to be a distraction anyway. Uh, I think it might be a tablet. So everybody catch this? Here's here's what it's saying. As you go, make disciples of all nations. Why am I emphasizing this? I want you to write it down. Make disciples is the primary command in verse 19 and 20. There's multiple things there, but make disciples is the primary command. The primary command is not go. The primary command is not baptizing. The primary command is not teaching. The primary command, the overarching thing, the big umbrella is make disciples. That's the point of the text. So really by studying number one today, we're already covering the main thing. Everything else with that is supported. The main thought is make disciples. And I want to read something. Again, this is subtle. And I know I've been preaching a little bit, so this may not land with everybody, but I want to throw it out. Jesus does not say, go He does not do this, go, comma, make disciples, comma, baptize them, comma, teach them. doesn't say that. What he says is, go make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them, baptizing. He doesn't say baptize and teach. He says baptizing and teaching. You say, what's the point? He is not saying actually four different things that are not connected. What he's saying is one main thing that has three supportive thoughts that tell you what that one thing looks like. This is what it looks like. So here's what he says. Baptizing, teaching as you go. Let me put it a little more clear. The Lord does not say, go get people saved. And then baptize them. And then teach them. So he doesn't say, go get people. He doesn't say, go make converts. The way he words it is, he just names and states the ultimate goal. The big thing we're after is making disciples. And then he describes what making disciples looks like. As you go, make disciples, baptizing them. Here's what it looked like. Baptizing them and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. 
You say, Jeff, this, I'm, you're still not getting, getting what you're saying. He's saying that converts are to be taught to follow the Lord by being baptized and by being taught to obey the Lord. Here's my point. The Lord wants more than converts. The Lord wants more than saved people. He wants converts slash saved people to become disciples who are learners of Him and followers, obedient followers of Him. I want you to ask yourself this morning, am I a merely saved convert or am I a disciple who is learning and following the Lord? Because that's what He's after. That's our mission. Make disciples. That's, that's the Great Commission. Make disciples. The other things are supportive of that. But D.A. Carson writes the following. So wait a minute, Jeff. And I'm heading somewhere with this. Carson writes, and by the way, he's going to use a word imperatival, right? That's weird. Would it help if I just insert the word imperative instead of imperatival? Okay? Y'all know what an imperative is? That's a command. Do this. Now, watch. I'm going to change that word twice. Carson writes, quote, While it remains true to say that the main imperative force rests with make disciples, not with go, yet in a context that demands that this ministry extend to all nations, it is difficult to believe that go has lost all imperative force. Read that again. While it remains true to say that the main imperative force rests with make disciples, not with go, but in a context that demands that this ministry extend to all nations, it is difficult to believe that go has lost all imperative force. What he's saying is it still has force. It's just not the main thing. So now that I've got you thoroughly confused, I want to ask you two questions. Actually, you are going to ask these two questions. So Jeff, which is it? Which is it? Is it this? As you go randomly through life, wherever life may take you, hey, don't forget, make disciples. Wherever you go, you go there, God in His providence leads you there and there. You don't know where you're going to be in a year, where you're going to be in five years, ten years. But wherever you go, don't forget, make disciples. Is it that or is it as you intentionally go to other nations, make disciples. Is it as you go through life, make disciples. Or as you intentionally go to the other nations, make disciples. What's the command? To that I would answer, yes. Both. You're going to write a note that I think might be about as important as any note on here. The first sentence. Just start with the first sentence. The whole thing is not going to be up there. Next week, you got to come back. You need to come back next week because we're going to learn something out of verse 20. Here, teaching them. This is me. I'm in 2022. They were told somewhere around AD 30. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, which if that happens, then those people are going to teach other people everything that was taught to them by them. And it kept happening, 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 all the way down to my uncle and Ed Yeoman. And they taught me. And then 
my uncle and some others and some study Bibles and some Bible college and some other good teachers and podcasts and pastors. And they've been doing that. And so it's been passed down to me. So here's what I want you to write. What we're going to learn is that verse 20, we don't see it clearly yet, but verse 20 proves that all of the Great Commission applies to all Christians. All of the Great Commission applies to all Christians. What does that look like? All have a part. Now keep your note going. Some are called to go to foreign nations. Some are called. Some of you in this room. I would be shocked if in this room none of us are called to go in foreign fields. That would be amazing. That would be weird. And all we're going to know is if we're asking the Lord, Lord, would you reveal to me? You've got to be open. You've got to surrender. You should hear this as personal. The Lord has not yet called me to the foreign field. He's called me to be right here this morning doing this aspect of it. But let's complete our note. The Great Commission, all Christians... The great, all of the Great Commission applies to all Christians. Some are called to go to foreign nations. What about those who, whew, that's not me, so, hey, hey. No. While the others pray for those who go to the foreign nations, the others who stay home support those who go to the foreign nations, and those who are home not only are praying and supporting resources and finances because they're going away from the homeland where the finances and resources were. They're gone in, into the field, the foreign field, where they don't have that. So they don't have that safety net. We're to pray for them and support them financially. Oh, by the way, while we're doing that, those who are home are also fulfilling and completing and proclaiming the gospel right here at home. Did you catch the three things I just said? Yes, some are going to go to the foreign field, hopefully right here out of our group. And when they do, those that are supposed to, called of God to stay here, we pray for them and support them financially while we're doing the same thing here. We're completing and fulfilling, and particularly every aspect of this, we still haven't even touched verse 20. That'll be a big focus next week. So I want to ask you this question. I want every Christian to answer this in your own heart. Were you born here? If you were born here, you're still here. God may be calling you somewhere else. Come next week. Don't make any assumptions. Whew. I made it till I'm 60 some. Looks like that's not for me. Thank goodness. Careful. We don't want to make any assumptions. Come next week. So I want to ask you. Ask yourself, since I'm here, can I honestly say I pray for those who've been sent and I give for those who've been sent and I give for the work of the Lord that is completing the Great Commission here and I am speaking and using my voice making disciples here. Can you say in your heart you're doing these three things? Since the Lord has not sent me yet to a foreign field, can you honestly say, I'm praying for those who go, I am financially supporting those who go, and I am currently fulfilling the Great Commission here using my voice, and I am making disciples, and I'm having a part in the making converts and getting converts baptized. Everybody has a part in getting people baptized. You ought to be having those conversations, and everybody has a part in teaching people to observe all that the Lord has commanded. Can you say you've done all three of those? Because here, I'm not being mean, guys. I'm not being mean. I'm, I want to help us this morning. I'm going to stand before God and give, give an account for this message. And if I just play nice and oh, don't want to upset anybody, here's a fact. There are quite a few people in the room 
that when I just said those three things, if you'll check your heart, you go 0 for 3. And you're saved. Is the Lord pleased with that? Is that acceptable? We got people all over in every section that went 0 for 3 on those. They're real Christians, converts, converts. But you're not yet a real disciple because you're not making disciples. There's some folks here in your heart of hearts. Here's the truth. You know in the last month you have not prayed for missionaries. I give you two ways. I say them over and over. I don't do it all the time. There's a map that Frontline Missions gave us. It's in my daily devotional. The 20, what is today? 28th of the month, you pray for this place. 27th of the month, you pray for this. And where is it? Everybody have one of these yet? This has our 20 missionaries listed on it. I've said it multiple times. We gave it out back in January. If you don't have that and you just work your way through at least one a day as you're getting ready to read your Bible and pray, and then we've got nine things to pray for them. I don't know how to pray for them. You've got nine things right there. They're, they're on that table back there, and there's, I think there's a few left over there, and there might be a little bit right there. But some of you are like, I don't pray for our missionaries. Guess what? There's others. You're like, I don't pay any of my resources. I have an income. When I get paid, it all goes to me. I don't give anything to further in the gospel anywhere. Why? There's two things I think are pretty sure about me and among the 84 churches in the Saluda Association. I dare say I probably preach the longest. Pretty sure. Not 100%, pretty sure. And I dare say I probably talk about finances and giving the least. Somebody's probably a first-timer here this morning. or thinking, Another preacher. He's another one. But those of you here every week, you know, Jeff doesn't. They, we don't even pass the offering plate anymore because of COVID. They just put the boxes back there. We hardly ever. When you give your money to Graceview, about 18% of last year's money that was given went to missions in some form. Some of those 20, some foreign mission, uh, international mission board and North American mission board. But I'm here to tell you, everything you ever give to anything we do here, because we're not a church that just has this idea and that idea and we're off mission, because everything we do needs to be about the Great Commission. Every dollar you ever give here goes to expanding the Great Commission, fulfilling that in all of its parts. See, we're about making disciples here. That's the main thing we're about. And I know it turns a lot of people off, but you guys apparently are okay with it. You keep coming back. And some of you are like, radical, Tony Morton. She's at everything. That girl's at everything. I mean, you name it. She, we need to get her a room over here. She lives here. She is a man about making disciples. and She wants to get disciples and make disciples. And some of you are just like her. When you support here, you're expanding that. There's some of you, though, you don't give anything. And there's many in the room right now. You can't remember the last time you shared the gospel with anybody. You'd, oh, for three. Come on, guys. I don't pray for any missionaries. I don't give any of my financial support. But I attend. Praise the Lord. I'm really glad you're attending. And you're saved. Praise the Lord you're saved. But you don't pray and you don't give and you're not sharing that. Some of you, you go one for three. Some of you are like, Jeff, I do pray for missionaries. I just don't put my money where my mouth is ever. And I don't put my own mouth where I'm praying for their, they'll do it over there. Or I pray for that one and that one and that one here that's doing it. But I don't ever do it myself. There are others of you, you give. 
but you don't pray and you don't speak. And there's a few, perhaps, that you speak, but you don't pray and you don't give. We need to go three for three. We need everybody go three for three for the Great Commission. Be a three for three Christian. I will pray and I will give. Some of you need to go home right now today and you need to say, I haven't given so long. You know what? I've got to start giving. And you give today. I don't want to lose you, but there's some of you that are watching right now and we're your church and you benefit from it and you've done this for a year or two and I love it. I love it. But if we're your church and you keep benefiting and you have yet to give, it costs money to do this. You ought to be giving because we're, we're, we're advancing the kingdom here. You ought to be giving to it. And that's the same for all of us. And we love you. I promise. I'm almost done. We got a meeting after this. And don't y'all let me forget we got a meeting right after this. Members. Here we go. All the nations. If you'll listen fast, I'll talk fast. The current population is about 7.75 billion people. 195, 196 countries. Everybody with me? If you're, if, if you, I'll, I'll go fast. 195, 196 nations. I'm sorry. Countries. I misspoke. 195, 196 countries. 7.75 billion people spread out in those places. But those are just man-made borders. There's a river. Over here's a country and there's a country. There's a mountain range. There's an ocean. There's a lake. Those are man-made. The Lord's call is not go make disciples in all the 195, 196 countries. It's to go make disciples in all of the ethne, all of the people groups, all of the ethnic groups. Here's why that's important. The experts tell us that there's not 195 ethnic groups, people groups. There's about 17,000 people groups. We're told to go make disciples among 17,000 people groups. Good news. 10,000 people groups have disciples in them. 7,000 people groups do not yet have disciples in them. You say, wait, 10,000 do, 7,000 don't. We're told to make disciples in all of the 17,000 people groups. Those 7,000 that have yet to hear the gospel and to be reached make up about 3 billion of the 7.75. I want you to start making a column. On one side you got 7.75 and on the other side you got 3 billion. Uh, 4.75 billion, 3 billion. David Platt writes the following. That there's 7,000 people groups that have yet to be reached. They're called the unreached. What does unreached mean? He writes, quote, hear it. Unreached means that people don't have access to the gospel. Now think about that. You remember why four things, why it's urgent. They don't have access to the gospel. Write this thought. He writes, unless something changes, unreached people will be born, they'll live, they'll die without ever hearing the gospel. Let that sink in. They're going to be born, they'll live, and they will die. Three billion people. They're going to be born, live, and die, and they're never going to hear the gospel. And you're thinking, Jeff, what happens to people if there's only one way to heaven and it's Jesus? What happens to them if they never hear about Jesus and what he did? You tell me what happens to them. I guess they'll get another chance after they're saved to hear the God. No. God's plan is us. We've been entrusted. We're plan A. We're plan A. You. You. 
our plan A. What's plan B? There is no plan B. There are three billion people who have yet to hear the gospel. And they'll live and die. Never even hear about Jesus and they'll die and go to hell. And so, Platt, I've, I've listened to several secret churches. Been to two. This year's was really good. Last year's was probably the most challenging I've heard. I've really got the most out of last year's 2021. And here's what he taught us. You with me? 4.75 billion people, 3 billion. These have been reached, 3 billion haven't. About 50% bigger group over here. But Platt talks about the great imbalance in missions. And here's the great imbalance. Out of all the missionaries around the world, I think maybe around 400,000. Don't quote me on that. I think it's around 400,000. Various countries send their people to other countries. We have 4.75 have been reached with the gospel. 3 billion have not been reached. Out of the 400,000, the imbalance of missions is that 97% of the missionaries go to the 4.75 that already have the gospel. 3% go to the three billion who've yet to hear the gospel. But it gets worse. Of all the dollars, all the money that's spent on missions, 99% of the mission dollars goes to the 4.75 who've already had the gospel, and 1% of the money goes to the three billion who have yet to hear. That is a massive... Guys, something's weird there. That is wrong. You say, Jeff, why does that happen? Brian told us last week. It was subtle. Did you catch it? Here's one of the reasons. More money is sent to currently reached places rather than pioneer mission places because pioneer missions, the three billion over here, they typically do not yield large numbers of converts at first. Last week, Brian's talking. We've been there three and a half years in Senegal. And he, he beat us to the punch. If you were to ask me, he says, how many converts have we had? He says, zero, nada, none. But he started listing names that, that they're working on. Everybody with me? You send the exact same missionary, the exact same one, to two different places with the exact same funding. Watch. John and Jane Doe missionaries sent to here and to here, and we're giving them $90,000 to go every year, and they're going to go for five years. If you were to send them to Central and South America, in those five years, they will likely have hundreds of converts. But you send the exact same, it's not about skill and ability, the exact same missionaries to the unreached places, and they'll probably do good after the five years to have five, seven, ten, twelve converts, disciples. Hundreds. And so we may think, well, then we need to send them to where the hundreds are going to be converted. And just keep ignoring because it's hard and even dangerous and not numerically as fruitful. Guys, that's wrong. We've got to get there. If you were in the three billion who've never heard and you live and die and wake up in hell, you would have wished somebody would have come and brought you the gospel. It's for all of us. So Jeff, let's get this straight. What you're saying is we need to stop sending missionaries to the reached places and only like flip that, 97 and 99, sending to the unreached. Listen carefully. That is not what I'm proposing. I would say that would be the wrong thing to do. 
Here's why. Take one country, Turkey. Think with me. Turkey. Turkey is today 99.8% Muslim. I call that unreached. That's Muslim. I don't know how many of the rest of them are atheists. Hardly any Christians there. Turkey. Y'all know where Turkey is? It's right above the Mediterranean, west of Syria, kind of around the corner from Israel, to the east of Greece. You know where Turkey is? 99.8% Islamic. They're on their way to hell. They're unreached. But if you'll think about Turkey, here's what that shows us. If we'll study them, maybe uniquely, they illustrate that there's this urgent need. We must continue to maintain the reached areas and also go to the unreached areas. So rather than thinking, should we do this then or that one? Should we do the 475 or the 3? It isn't an either or, it's a both in. And that is illustrated by Turkey. You say, Jeff, why are you using Turkey? Because if you'll study the New Testament, as we will when we get to the book of Acts, when the gospel starts expanding, it goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, up to Syria to Antioch. Y'all know where it went after on the first missionary journey of Paul? It went through Turkey. It went to the Galatian churches. The Galatian churches are in Turkey. What we, it wasn't Turkey then, but that landmass had the Galatian churches. Second missionary journey, Paul goes, checks on those churches, keeps going across. He eventually goes over to Greece. But then he comes back and he touches base at Ephesus, which is in Turkey. The third missionary journey, he comes back to Ephesus, and he starts teaching for five hours a day in Ephesus, and people start getting converted. And those seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation, Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, Pergamos, Philadelphia, Sardis, Laodicea, those seven churches are started while Paul is in Ephesus. In other words, if you were to look at the map and go back 1,900 years ago, one of the most saturated places on the earth was Turkey, the land that we call Turkey today. And now it is unreached. My point is this. If we don't keep maintaining where the gospel is already reached, it can be lost. And don't you think for a second the United States is always going to be the reached land. We are on a slide right now. The way we're going, you give it 200 more years, we will be the unreached land where people are sending their people here. you got to maintain. But we've also got to go to the people who've never heard. You see the both and? Do you see some are called to go? Others of us are called to stay. Those of us who stay are to give and to pray. And we're doing the gospel. All parts of it we'll get into next week. Here, you, you middle schoolers and high schoolers, Work hard in school. Do your best. Do your absolute best. You say, I'm not good at that or good at that. We're all given different gift abilities. Just do your best. So that if God has you working a job here in the United States, you adults who are in the work field, do your best. If God, wherever God has you, follow his will. You try to be successful in that. And you be profitable in that in an honest way. And you give to this community and be profitable. Why? So you can have a bunch more money to live like it's vacation time till the Lord comes back? No. Have more resources to put in the Great Commission. That's why he gave you that skill and gave you that job. Kids, try hard. Learn. Go make a difference. And then use your resources to further the kingdom. That's why you're here. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Will it work? Will it work? <laughs> your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed.
Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. And the song we were singing was for all of us to praise the name of the Lord our God. Will this plan of God work? Revelation 7, verse 9 and 10 says this. John the Revelator, looking into the future, got a glimpse. God let him see the future, and here's what he saw. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, from all tribes and people, every nation, and all tribes and peoples and languages, he says, I saw them standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, not a little meaty mouse voice, with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the nations, all the tribes are going to be represented. It's going to work. It's going to work. Here's the question. Are you going to get in on it? Are you going to regret not getting in on it? You're here for a reason. You're here for the Great Commission. Pray and give and speak, either here or afar. Will you dare pray, God, show me, am I to be here or am I to go? I dare you. Pray through the prayer map. Pray through our individual missionaries. Determine, I'm, I'm today, today, I will be a giver to where the Great Commission is being advanced. And it is here. I'm not pleading for your money. God's not broke. You want in on it? He's going to do it. Will you commit to share the gospel? Will you commit to pray? Will you commit to give? Will you pray for the lost by region and by name of country? Maybe individuals that you know. Will you pray for specific missionaries on the field? And will you pray, Lord, I surrender. If you want me to go, I'll go. Is my calling pioneer missions? Show me. Is my calling to support here and to pray while I advance the kingdom here. Will you surrender? Let's stand. Father, Lord, you're worthy. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of our whole life. Jesus, you have all authority. May every one of us right now surrender, God. What do you want us to do? We're going to be obedient to the very clear things. But Lord, make it clear where you want us to be. Lord, is it it as we intentionally go to the nations or is it as we providentially and in a surrendered fashion go through our lives here? Lord, let us surrender. We will be making disciples because you're worthy and because we love you. Lord, let us love you more. And Lord, let us love souls. It is urgent. Let us feel the great need. We pray in Christ's name.